Good morning. You'll see in your bulletin that uh, there was a bulletin insert the, the 11th of September. Uh, we'll have, uh, my parents will be here and they'll be sharing in the evening service their ministry in, in Spain. Um, I would encourage you to come. It will be a, a great time to hear about uh, missionary work uh, that's going on in Spain. And uh, they'll be encouraging uh, to have you think about how you can be involved in spreading the gospel there in Spain. Uh, it's a very uh, unreached country, unevangelized country, and uh, they need more workers for the harvest. So I would encourage you to think about uh, September 11th to be there. Uh, when we had the Dunlops, it, uh, it, we had uh, some cookies and so forth, and that made hearing the missionary presentation a little bit better. Um, I, I'm wondering if we should be thinking about Spanish desserts, like maybe some churros and some chocolate. or uh, uh, So uh, just be thinking about something like that that we can have um, beforehand. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 11 through verse 16. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 16, if you would please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you uh, were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were form, uh, formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put to death the enmity. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we look at this text that your spirit would uh, illumine our minds so that we can understand that uh, we have peace with you through Jesus Christ. Father, that uh, while we were far off, we've been brought near through the blood of Christ. Father, there might be someone here or someone online that is unsaved as they listen to this message, and I pray that your spirit would convict them and show them their need of a Savior. Father, I pray for other of us who are here and saved that um, we'll benefit, we'll take full advantage of being brought near through the blood of Christ. I pray that we'll meditate on this text uh, throughout this week and see those areas that we need to change because of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Sometimes we can get uh, disoriented. Uh, we can be moving a little bit without really realizing that we're moving. And I'm, I'm thinking about, the, like, for example, when you're at the beach. You're there swimming in the water, and if uh, you don't, have a focal point, if you're not looking at something that's static, 
uh, you'll start to drift. And sometimes that drifting is just it takes you further down the beach. And uh, then when you come out of the water, you got to walk half a mile back up. Or uh, worse yet is that it starts to carry you out. So you, you have to have something static that you can kind of judge the depth, how far you are out, and also uh, if you're going from side to side. And if you don't do that, you'll end up drifting away, uh, going further than what you anticipated. You have to look at something that is very static. Now, it's not enough to just uh, start moving in a direction that you feel is right. That, that's, that's not enough. Because uh, you'll start exerting energy, but you're not going to be going in the right direction. You have to know what direction you're going into um, so that you can be moving in the correct direction and spending energy in that way. As we're going to be looking in this text, there's an aspect of far and near that Paul plays with a little bit. He interacts with. Now, Paul has been developing some deep theological thoughts about salvation and about the church. He's been developing this, and we've seen it in chapter 1, and so far we've seen it in chapter 2, and we'll see it some more in chapter 3, and there hasn't been a whole lot of application because in this part he's really developing the basis on which a person should live differently, should behave differently, should interact with one another in a different manner. It's based on these truths that we find here that should uh, change our life radically to behave as it will be presented in chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6. Now, as we see this, what we're going to be looking at today is that we have been brought near and reconciled to God by Christ's death. That's what we're going to be looking at. We have been brought near and reconciled to God by Christ's death. And as we think and contemplate this truth found in these verses, uh, there, we have to kind of think of, uh, first of all, uh, where we were. Uh, remember where you were. And we'll see that in verses 11 through 12, to remember where you were. In verse 11, he says, uh, therefore, remember. It's an imperative. He's, he's telling them, think back, uh, contemplate, ponder, and he's saying to remember that formerly, which has this uh, aspect of some time in the past. Uh, look back to a time in the past. Now, as we look at what Paul presents to them, that they're to contemplate of something in the past, I'm hoping that today these are also truths of you, that these are also things of the past for you. That as we look at these things, you're not saying, well, that's actually what I'm living right now. Hopefully, as we contemplate these things, you're saying, yes, that was a truth of me before, but it's not the truth of me now. I hope that there has been a change through you putting faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I hope that there was a day when you realized that you were a sinner and there was nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing you could do to get one inch closer to God. But you put your faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, and now you can say, yes, this was something former. This was something in the past. And I can remember that, and it's not my present situation. As you remember where you were, Paul kind of presents two ideas here. One is that their identity was wrapped up in their worldly life. Their 
their identity was wrapped up in their worldly life. Now, look how they were called. It says, um, you, uh, the Gentiles, in the flesh. That's, uh, that word Gentiles is uh, where we get the word ethnic, ethnic groups. And it's uh, a body of persons that are united by a culture or common traditions. Uh, we see that people have an affinity to being identified with certain groups. This is my heritage culture. Uh, this, is, this is my group of people who I identify with. This is the political group that I'm with. We, we tend to identify in this way. Paul identifies them as in their most natural state. This is who you were, Gentiles in the flesh. This is who you were. This is your common tradition. This is uh, your, your culture. And this is how it was before. And he is they're represented here as uncircumcised. Uh, circumcision was a, a sign, a sign that pointed to a reality uh, but not a, um, it, it wasn't something that gave grace, but rather it pointed to a, a point when there was a grace bestowed through faith. And I'll develop this a little bit more. Uh, Abraham was given the sign of, of circumcision. But in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And if you go to Genesis 17, 9 through 11, that's where he talks about the fact that they were supposed to be uh, circumcising the males uh, at the eighth day and so forth, and go into all the rules and regulations. Now, you don't have to be a deep doctor of theology to understand this very basic thing that chapter 15 comes before chapter 17. The faith in God precedes the sign. You don't have to go to seminary all your life to figure that out. That faith comes before the sign. A person needs to have a change. The sign only represents what has happened or what should happen later on. That the person has faith in God. So these are individuals who are not people of faith. Their traditions and their culture, however curious and however interesting they are, they are not what brings them to faith. They were called uncircumcision, uh, the so-called circumcision that was performed by flesh, by, by human hands. Th that word, by human hands, has an interesting connotation in the Old Testament. If we were to look at that word through, uh, through the Septuagint and then see how it's related to the uh, Hebrew Old Testament, it, it, it tends to have a negative connotation. For example, it's used in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1, that the idols that they made were made with human hands. And uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 18, it also talks about that they performed, they made idols, and they've done this in their human hands, uh, as in with their human effort. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 11, also has the same connotation that things done by human hands are in contrast to what God is and what God has done. So here, by the... Circumcision by human hands puts a contrast between what God does, the salvation that he gives through faith, as opposed to this act. Now, when we see this, we, we, we see that their identity was wrapped up in their worldly life, but then we also see that there was a great poverty. Their poverty was great. Their poverty was extreme. In fact, he's going to go into five things that they did not have. 
five things that they lacked. The first is, as we see in verse 12, remember that you were at uh, that time separated from Christ. You were without Christ. There was a, a separation that existed. You were distanced from Christ. Uh, I have been giving the meaning for death as separation uh, that we see here in Ephesians as death equals separation because of this aspect that we were separate from Christ. Later on, it's going to say that we've been drawn near. That aspect of death being dead in our trespassing and sin is we have been, we're separate. There's not a thing we can do to get closer. And it mentions Christ. Now, could have mentioned Jesus, but it mentions Christ. As Christ is the one who uh, is the anointed one. He's the one that they're anticipating who will deliver. It has a, a strong Jewish context, and he's writing to them that they have been separated from this Christ. It's in Christ that all the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant comes to fruition, that the Davidic, that the new covenant comes into fruition. It's through Christ, and if there's going to be any blessings, it's going to be through Christ. But they're separate. And that's how they were. Not only that, but they were aliens. It says, uh, from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They were aliens. They were separate. They were detached, estranged. This uh, word has this, uh, is used a little bit, in, for example, in Ephesians 4, 18, to not walk alienated from the life of, uh, that God gives. Also used in Colossians 1.21, uh, Paul presented them as being alienated. But they're alienated here, as it says, from the citizenship. Now, citizenship has, of course, an, an idea of a social political entity. But it also has an idea of uh, citizens behave a certain way. And, and we can all see that when we contemplate uh, cultures. Uh, if you were to go to Spain and you were to go into a, a, a meat market, uh, you would not form a line. That, that just people don't form lines there. They'll go in and they'll say, who's the last one? And a person will say, hey, I'm the last one. And so you just kind of watch them, and then when they get served, you know that you're next. But when you're here in the States, you don't go into the meat market and say, who's the last one? They're just they're like, what? Who's the last one of what? You know, get in line, you know? Uh, in Bangladesh, you'll see people, they'll, they'll gather around and they'll get very, very close to each other as they're talking. And you wonder, well, why they got to be so close? They'll just give a little distance here, you know? It's okay to give a little distance. Uh, there's, there's cultural behavior ways of citizenship. People behave certain ways. Now, uh, being a citizen, for example, here we know there's certain cultural norms. This, this is how we do things here. At North Oaks Baptist Church in Texas, this is how we do things. They were separate from that. They were alienated from this commonwealth, from this citizenship of Israel. Now, Israel is kind of established here in the aspect of being a place where the blessings are, where there is blessings. And uh, it seems like it's showing that there is a disadvantage to the fact that they are alienated, that they are strangers from this commonwealth of Israel. There is a place of advantage as in blessings because they have the word, they have the promises, they have the covenant. And being a Gentile separate from that causes a disadvantage. I, I want to just apply this rather quickly as we're 
working through this text, this aspect of a certain advantage and disadvantage, I think, uh, should be thought in, in the church setting. Uh, are there any unsaved people here in Houston? Yeah, yeah, my neighbor's unsaved. My mother-in-law's unsaved. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I know there's unsaved people here. Um, it, but here in Houston, there is a, a large amount of churches, and, and, and there's all types of denominations and all types of music style and, and all types of lighting. You can get some with lots of light. You can get some with like hardly any light. And they're like going in there. Uh, you can find anything you want as far as a church. This one has pews. This one has chairs. These recline. You know, they, they've got everything. If you were to go to Morocco, you can find people that will born, be born, live their life, and die before they ever see any type of evangelical church in their town or city. You can. Now, that reality, or you can go to Spain, and to find an evangelical work, you can find many towns of 10,000, 15,000 people with not a single evangelical work in it at all. Does Houston need Christ? Yes, desperately. We need to be sharing the gospel. But there's also other places that need us to go. And we should be thinking about there are people that don't have the blessing of here where they can just pick and choose what type of church they want and where they can feel most comfortable. They'll just take whatever. Whatever you start there, they'll go to that. Now, if you think about this, this is the condition that we were in, that they were in. Not only that, but it says strangers. They were strangers. Uh, something unfamiliar, not, not known, is being stranger. Uh, we can always tell when there's a stranger, you know, uh, you go to a place to go watch the, the football game, <clears throat> and they're not from there. They're cheering from the wrong team. You're like, what is this guy doing, you know? Uh, or, or, you know, they go to something, and, and they're sitting on the wrong side. Like, what, what is this guy doing? He's, he's supposed to be over here. You know, you can tell they're a stranger. They don't know the culture. And that's how we were. That's our situation, strange, alienated, and then hopeless, totally hopeless. A hopeless uh, anticipates. It looks forward to something with a confidence uh, expecting a fulfillment of something. But here, it's without hope. I, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Winnie the Pooh. There's Eeyore. I mean, that guy is just hopeless all the time. Uh, everywhere else, it's sunshiny, but it's raining right on, on Eeyore. It is. He's always down. It's a hopeless life that he lives. And sometimes we're like that. With Christ, there's hope. Now, I, I, I want to just pause for a moment here because there might be somebody who is thinking and they're saying, you know what, um, before I was saved, I had these anticipations for this career and I had this, uh, th this marriage, uh, we, we were dating and we, we could already see the kids we were going to have and the house we were going to have and, and we were just, we had so much hope. And then I got saved, and I went to one church, and boy, they were a bunch of backstabbers there. And then I, I went to another church, and they were just full of sin, and, and, and 
I have no hope. The marriage dissolved. <laughs> the kids don't talk to me. This is, I have no hope. And, and I would just pause just for a moment here because that might be the condition that some have found themselves that they're hearing that this was a former thing and you're saying, this is my reality. I'm hopeless. And I, I would... I would want you to just focus a little bit on maybe where your hope is. Contextually, here he's saying that they're hopeless because they don't have Christ. See, we can get as Christians in a situation where we take our eyes off of God and start putting it on the blessings that God has given us. Maybe a spouse, or maybe children, maybe a career. And what we start to do is we start to exalt God's blessings to the level of God. And, and we exalt those and we, we, we say we deserve this. Maybe it's a, a career. Maybe it's a, a family situation. But little by little, we have somehow exalted to the point of God those things, God's blessings. And, and all of a sudden, God decides one day that he's going to take that blessing and he's going to take it back to himself. And now you don't have it. Now that pain introduced into your life allows you to see, is my hope in Christ or is my hope put in the blessings that Christ gives me? Do, do I find comfort in God and being with God or do I just like the blessings that God gives me? See, if our eyes remain on God, He doesn't change. He doesn't move. He's always constant. But if our eyes are put on the blessings that God gives, oh, those change all the time. Our eyes need to be focused on God. Now, as we see this and we look at this, how do you change that? You could do a test to see if maybe you're, if you're focusing on the wrong thing. And it's by asking yourself a question. Uh, I'll be hopeful when, and then there's the X. What you put in that X will show you if your hope is in God or not. I, said, I am hopeful when I get this promotion. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be hopeful then. I'll be hopeful if I moved out of here to Alaska where it's nice and cool. Or I'm hopeful if, whatever it might be, that is the object that you are staring at and gazing at. Whatever that X is. It should be Christ. It should be God. How, how do you stop? Well, you have to reorient your mind. Say, so, but I don't feel like it. Yeah, many times we don't feel like it, but we must be obedient to practice this. Now, the last thing, the fifth thing, is that they're godless, without God. That's where we get our word atheist from. They were without God. Now, now think, think about this for a moment. God gives purpose. God gives um, a reason for living. If they are not attached to God, then who then gives them their purpose and reason for living? How do they find their reason uh, to, to live? Well, they're either going to make themselves God and be determining, or they're going to be 
following whatever gurus out there, you know, whatever specialist is out there that can tell them you should do this or you should do that. It, it, it creates a wishy-washy life. It's like the, the person presented in James that he, he's a double-minded person. And, and it's like the, the waves of the ocean that go up and down and up and down. And at the end, nobody wants to be around that type of person that lives with God as, as themselves. You know, one moment they're super happy, and another moment they're super mad. And you're like, what's going on with this person? And they're like happy again, and then they're depressed, and they're all over the place. And all, people start distancing themselves, like, I don't want to be close to this person. Something's going on there, and I'm not sure what. A person without God has no purpose, and they have no stability. They get drifted around. And before they know it, they're either way far out or way up the beach or way down the beach. Godless. They have no true purpose in their life. Now, as we think about this, uh, they were saved from their hopelessness. They, they have now Christ. They're, they're, they were alienated, but they're not anymore. They were strangers, but they're not anymore. They have hope and they have God. That's what they were saved from. They have this new life. Now, this new life, because, and I'm getting this new life aspect from the fact that he's saying, remember that formerly, which implies that something has changed and there's something new. Formerly, you were in this condition, therefore they have a new life. Now, this new life, we should be living for that new life. Uh, let's use an uh, uh, an example, let's, let's try to use our imagination here. Um, in school, I think they, uh, they pledge allegiance. Do they still pledge allegiance to the flag? Uh, so let's, let's go back to January 15th, 1784. So America now is America, right? And uh, we're all in school together. We're all in the same class. And uh, the teacher says, all right, let's pledge allegiance. So we all stand up, put our hands on our heart. We go through the pledge of allegiance. And uh, we're sitting down and getting our stuff. And then a kid over here in the corner, he stands up and says, God save the queen. And then he sits back down. Like, what? I don't know if you don't follow Twitter or Facebook, but something has changed since yesterday to today. There's a new government. We're not under the queen. We're the United States of America. Wouldn't it be absurd to hear that? Wouldn't it be strange to see that kid like, what is he doing? Sit back down, you know? It's also absurd for a person that was formerly in this time, that is now has this new life, but continues to live in the former way. It's also absurd for a person that has new life to continue living as if they were in their old lifestyle. It's just absurd. God has saved them, has given them hope, has, not, has made them to be citizens. They're no longer strangers. They're no longer alienated. They have this new life. And just as absurd it would be as some little kid not realizing the fact that something has changed and they get up and they say, God save the queen, and then sits down, it would also be absurd for a Christian to continue living in their old way of lifestyle. Now, not only are we to remember where we were, but we're 
to remember where, we, uh, where you are. Remember where you are. Uh, we see that just in verse 13, what he mentions here. Uh, in verse 13, but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He says, but now, which forms a strong contrast. The contrast is be- between what they formerly were and what they are now. What they formerly were without hope and what they are now. And what they are now has been brought about in, in Christ Jesus. The fact that they are in Christ, being placed in Christ, changes everything radically in their life. You who f- uh, formerly were far off have been brought near. Now, it's an interesting verb. It, uh, it has uh, a passive in it, which means that the subject is not doing the action, but the subject is being acted upon. You have been brought near. It's not like they got up one day and decided to save themselves. That would be absurd. It wouldn't make sense in this. But rather, they were saved. They were brought near. This aspect of salvation is God's work in our lives. It's not something we just got up and decided, I'm going to be saved. No, it's God that saved it. He had this plan and he did this. He has brought them near. The, the contrast between far off and near. They, they were way over there and they have been brought close. No longer are they dead in their trespasses and sin, way separated, but now they are near, close by. It's a change in location. They're there in proximity. And God has done this work in us and those who are saved. Uh, and it's been done through the instrument that has performed this action is the by the blood of Christ. The, the noun here is uh, being used in sub- substitute to a whole action that God did of dying on the cross, where he died as a substitute for us, where he took on God's wrath and our sin and has given us his righteousness. We are drawn near to God. We are brought near to God not because we somehow started behaving better, but because Christ's righteousness was imputed to us, and now we can be in his presence. His substitutionary death is is made mentioned here by this blood of Christ. What is it that saves a person? The, The fact that they put faith in the fact that Christ died for them, in his blood that he died for them. It's a substitute. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is, where are we? Are we still far off or are we near? Are we still at a distance or have we been brought near? Now, the fact that we've been brought near uh, should have an impact in us. Uh, Sometimes we think about being brought near to God because uh, we think of all the blessings that God gives us. Like we've been brought near to, to God and therefore... Uh, since he bestows so much grace and so much goodness to us, uh, this being brought near is like, oh, yes, we can get all the things we wanted, right? It, it shouldn't be in that thought that we think about being brought near. Uh, my sister was part of a chorale group that went to uh, the UK, and one day they went and toured in, in London. And, of course, they went to Buckingham Palace. And they were standing there in Buckingham Palace, and there was a whole group of people there, and uh, she saw this fancy car pull out. 
And uh, between, between the heads of the people, uh, she could see through uh, the side view of the face of the queen. There she was, two seconds worth. It was appeared between two heads, you know. Uh, she looked through. There was, and it had such an impact on her. She was like, oh, I saw the queen. To the point that when she got back from the trip, she came and she told me, I saw the queen. I'm like, really? How'd you see her? And she goes through the whole thing about, uh, and it was like two seconds. Car went by, saw the side view of her face, and I saw the queen. The fact that she had been that close to the queen had had an impact on her life. She was like, this is amazing. I was that close to the queen of England. I saw her for a whole two seconds. This being brought near is so much more than the Queen of England. No disrespect to her. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of all things. To, to be in his presence, to be near to him, not because he's going to give you a gift, but just to be there. Through Christ's blood, he's brought you near. That's an amazing thought. I mean, think about the person that you admire the most, that if you could just spend an afternoon picking their brain, just talking to them, just being, just listening to them interact, or just seeing how they work. This is so much more. This is God that we've been brought near to. Now, not only should we remember where we are, as in contrast as to where we were, but remember what you have. And he goes into this aspect in verses 4 through 16. And he mentions uh, a lot of different things. For he himself is our peace. Peace. Hopefully, one day there'll be peace between Russia and Ukraine. Hopefully. One day, hopefully, they'll sign some type of accord and there's going to be peace. Uh, and, and peace is good. And we need peace. And peace has this uh, cessation of, of conflict. But Paul's going to develop that it's more than just peace that we're going to have through God. Because if you think about Ukraine, how many generations will go back, I mean going forward, will think about, oh, that day that um, Ukraine and, and Russia went to war. It'll be a, a long time. People will still be thinking about it years from now. There'll still be bitterness and anger and, and so forth and so on. The peace that he brings, as, as we'll see here, for he himself is who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier uh, of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hostility, which is the law of commandments uh, contained in the ordinances, so that he, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, that he might reconcile them both to one body to God. Reconcile them. It means to bring into unity. It goes past just being at peace with somebody. But it goes to a unity. Now, we're the ones that have offended. But through Christ's blood, it brings into unity us, the ones who have broken his law, to God, who is holy. He has done this through his blood. He's brought us near to him. It's not just a cessation of hostilities against one to another, but brought to the point of unity. 
Uh, you think about um, in a family, a brother and sister. Uh, they fight. They might start, stop arguing, but one's on one side of the house and the other's on the other side. Or you think about husband and wife. They go through something, something happens, and one person's way over here in this side of the house, and the other person's out in the garage. And, and they're not fighting anymore, but there's not reconciliation. Christ's blood brought reconciliation so that we can be near to God. And this happens through the cross, through Jesus Christ dying in our place. No longer have hostility. As we think about this, we think about this fact that through Christ, through his death, we can have peace with God. Peace. I wonder, do you have peace with God? Maybe you say, well, I, I know a lot of stories about God. But I don't have any peace with God. Uh, he hasn't been behaving how I thought he should have behaved. The one who is rebellious is us. And through Jesus Christ, you can have peace. You've been brought near through Jesus Christ and what he did. Now, not only that, but you are brought together into one body. And this is a, a really fascinating thing to think about. There's not a Jewish church and there's not a Gentile church. It's brought together into one body. Furthermore, there's not a white church or a black church or Asian church or any other type of church. There's one. He's brought them together in Christ to reconcile to God. There's not differences of churches. He's brought it together into one body. Languages might separate us. But God is working through one body where Christ is the head. And that is to reconcile us to the Father. What was separate is now together. That's an amazing thing that God has done through Jesus Christ. Now, what we looked at today is that we have been brought near and reconciled to God by Christ's death. And we're to remember where we were, we're to remember where we are, and we're to remember what we have. But the question is, is that what you have? Do you have peace with God? Has there ever been a time in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Was there ever a time when you recognized that your sins separated you? There, there wasn't a thing in the world you could do to get one step closer to God, but you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and you're saved. Do you have peace with God? I wonder for other of us here that we're saved, we have a relationship, but we continue living under the former way of life. We, we still live hopeless because we're putting our hope in a thousand different other things other than in Christ. We live as if we don't have God because we have no purpose. We bounce around from one job to the other, one family to another family, one career to another career. We just have no purpose at all. We have no behavior standards. In fact, they, they look at us and they say, my goodness, if that's a Christian, why get saved? They look just like an unsaved person. See, it's possible for a person to have put faith in Jesus Christ but fail to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And if that's you, today you can repent of that and, and start living in obedience. And I hope that you'll do that. Would you please stand with me? And we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll have our invitation. Father, I pray now as we consider this, this truth. Father, we, we were far away, but through Jesus Christ we've been brought near. Father, we were alienated. We were strangers. But through your grace, you have saved us. <clears throat> Father, if there's someone here that hasn't accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that as we sing this song of invitation, they can come forward and that today will be the day of salvation. Or better yet, Father, that they'll turn to the person beside of them and, and they'll ask them to lead them to having a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Father, if there's a believer here that <clears throat> is not walking as a new way of life, I pray that today they can repent. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.